Welcome, folks, to another Access Point Virtual Happy Hour. We do appreciate your attendance. Today's topic, we are going to have a couple of uh, outside experts with us. Brian Reeder is going to join us, and Christopher Hamlin is going to join us. At this point, I'm going to step back. Let Chris uh, go ahead and introduce yourself, Chris. And then we'll be. Go ahead. Yeah, thank you, Rick. Um, Chris Hamblin. I'm a, uh, a IT director for a large international uh, organization with a background in consulting uh, with GRC with a specialization in business continuity planning. Brian? Yes, I'm Brian Reeder. I've been director of internal audit uh, for several years, uh, focusing on IT and operational audits. I've done a lot of work on uh, disaster recovery, BIA, uh, and other sorts of uh, other topics we want to discuss today. Okay, so we're good. we've got a topic today. Our the topic is business impact assessment and risk assessment. Um, some of the things that I've seen in my in my career, and, and Chris, I'll look to you next. Is some of the things I've seen in my career is these are not always understood to be what they really truly are, right? So what's the difference between a business impact assessment versus a risk assessment? There seems to be, I don't know why, but there seems to be a lot of confusion out in the world as to what one is, what what's a BIA, when a BIA is necessary, or if it's even necessary. Uh, Chris, you've got a lot of background in this, and I'm going to go ahead and step back and let you let's let's talk about defining what the basics of a, of a BIA are. Well, um, thank you, uh, Rick. I'd like to uh, actually stay, take just a little bit of a step back and look at a holistic approach of business continuity planning as, as a whole. Right? Um, as it, it, you did indicate that that you know BIA's business impact analysis, as well as uh, uh, DRA's uh, disaster risk assessments. Um, and the entire area of business continuity planning, just like a lot of things within, you know, IT as uh, organizations, there are acronyms out the wazoo. And so there's a lot of folks that get a lot of a lot of confusion around them. So um, from a total uh, business impact uh, or a, a total business continuity planning uh, methodology perspective, uh, you take into account um, a lot of the, the, the internal and external um, things that could impact your organization. Internal factors being things like uh, staffing, uh, workplace, communications, uh, network constraints, those type of things, um, contractors. Um, and then your external uh, uh, factors uh, taking into the, the, those things into account, uh, such as you know uh, consumer markets, um, your competition, uh, different regulators and regulating bodies, um, other external factors such as uh, supply chain and uh, different economic con uh, conditionings. Um, so as you're taking into account all of these different factors, um, you, you develop an overall methodology to create a, biz a business continuity plan. And as part of that business continuity plan, um, you create two major documents, right? Those two major major do documents that are utilized for decision ma making and creating of a business continuity plan, which I refer to as a playbook. As we're you know obviously entering the the, the football season, I've got my uh, background here here of the football season, right? Um, I, I really like to help people understand what a business continuity plan is, right? It's not saying, hey, in case of a fire, I'm going to do this. In case of you know, a tornado, I'm going to do this. It's overall creating a playbook saying in the event of this type of thing being impacted, I'm going to run this play, right? And, and so 
Um, that's what you know your, your, your high-level business continuity plan really is. But in order to get there, in order to create your playbook, you have to take into certain things into account, which includes your business impact uh, uh, analysis, as well as your, your uh, disaster risk assessments. Uh, a disaster risk assessment is uh, basically an, an understanding of what potential impacts to the organization, whether it be to your overall business, whether it be to systems, whether it be to uh, your facilities, as well as your staff that could impact your overall business, right? Um, you, when you're looking at that, you're looking at natural threats, uh, which would be you know earthquakes and and pandemics and and uh, you know fire and 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 whatnot. Um, you're also looking at uh, you know your technological spaces, right? Your um, your hey, we've got um, uh, a potential for outside um, uh, intruders. Um, you've got uh, your your potential for inside staff and the compromises uh, there, you know, your, your disgruntled employee uh, type of uh, uh, potential. Um, and it takes into account a lot of other, other different factors, as well as those um, uh, mitigations that the organization is, has really put into place to try to protect uh, you from those different mitigating factors. And then overall, what I'd really like to see when I'm looking at a disaster risk assessment is uh, a threat rank so that the organization knows, hey, what is your current um, highest potential for impact to the organization, right? We understand, hey, these are all the, the things that we've kind of evaluated and how they could impact, you know, whether it be the staff or facilities or systems or overall business and, and rank those so that we focus in on those things that are most important for us to uh, add additional remediation me measures around. So that's really what a disaster risk assessment is. Your business impact uh, analysis is, is really a breakdown of the overall organization into, uh, say, departments. And then you take those departments and you break those down further into those business functions, right? What are those key business functions? If uh, if you're looking at like your accounting group, right? They're going to have accounts receivable. They're going to have accounts payable. They're going to have have the um, you know, business functions of um, uh, cutting checks or wiring money and um, you know scanning documents and and those type of things, right? Those are key business functions that that department needs to be able to perform. Then you look at it. Hey, within those key business functions, we're going to establish. Um, some some uh, uh, some RTOs and RPOs around those, right? So how long can the organization not facilitate that business function for a certain period of time before it becomes um, uh, a, a breaking point, whether it be from a regulating body, from a financial impact uh, standpoint, from a from a health and resources, uh, standpoint, you know, you're you're taking those and creating RTOs and, and RPOs based on those business functions. Then from that, those business functions, breaking that down that further and establishing IT requirements in order to be able to support those business functions. Because not necessarily is a system required to be up 24-7, right? Right. What, what a lot of organizations, they say, hey, it has to be up 24-7. 
Not necessarily, right? The the truly is, is that we we can take from that business impact analysis and understand, hey, what are our temporary operating procedures in the event of that system being down? How long before the work ends up being backed up before we end up having to actually input it into a system? You know, establishing those re recovery uh, uh, time objectives. So how long before the systems have to be up? And then recovery point objectives, basically indicating how much data is the organization willing to lose, right? If, if it's, you know, uh, we're only doing backups, say, once a day, then our organization is making the, the adjustment or the, the decision that, hey, that business function requires that system to not lose any more data than one day's worth of data, right? So that, that's kind of where I really de de determine or, or try to define what uh, business impact analysis is based on the business functions of the organization and the establishment of those RTOs and RPOs based on those uh, business functions. And then a disaster risk assessment is really the, the outside uh, factors that may impact your overall organization or what remediation um, uh, risk remediation factors have you actually accounted for? So Chris, how have you approached customers in the past who feel like that a risk assessment is your BIA? How, how do you how, how do you how, how do you define that with your customers? How do you have that discussion? Yeah, that, that that's a that's a difficult one, and uh, I've ran into a lot of organizations that hey they've they've got a, a it's not even really even a disaster risk assessment. Um, they they may even have just a, a a few page document that says, "Hey, in the event of a fire, we you know do this. In the event of a tornado, we do this." Right? Um, none of that actually takes into account what the true business impact is of said thing. The recover the 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 temporary operating procedures, the recovery operating procedures. You know, it doesn't take into those accounts. And until those things are actually taken in, in into account we are kind of flying by the seat of our pants yeah. in the event of something, right? Hey, yeah. we, we might've made safe the personnel in said disaster, but what do we actually do from a business perspective, right? And how do we make sure that, and I will say that there is a very large percent of organizations that go through a major disaster, they don't recover. They're shutting their doors within a year. Yeah. Right. So until we've actually taken those business um, uh, functions into account, we don't know whether or not we're actually going to be able to sustain ourselves through a true disaster. Yeah, I was reading uh, last week, actually, six days is the average length that small business can be down before closing its doors. Before yeah. camp. Absolutely. And that, that's amazing when you think about how critical six days can be to any organization that actually defines. 80% of America can't survive more than six days. A lot of small businesses, they just can't do it because they don't do the BIA, they don't do the RA, and they don't get prepared for it. Let's, let's ask Brian. Hey, Brian, I want to get your thoughts in on this. As an internal auditor, how do you view, or what, what, what is your perspective? What's your take on the BIA versus RA? And how have you handled that when an organization says, I just don't want to do a risk assessment without doing a BIA? How, how have you handled that? Or what's, what's been your experience? Well, I usually found uh, a lot of times business units that I've looked at actually skip the BIA and they just go to a risk assessment. Uh, and I, that's, they try to just shortcut the whole process by going to a risk assessment. And you really lose meaning if you don't have a business 
impact analysis to go with your risk assessment. You really don't know how it's going to adversely affect the company. You can identify all these risks, but you don't really know how it's going to affect operations, how it's going to affect your financial uh, stability, uh, and so forth. So I have to emphasize, you know, you need to take these steps in orderly process in developing an effective BCP, starting with the business impact analysis, risk assessment, and identifying RTOs, RPOs, uh, and really involve um, the operations team and non-IT personnel in this whole process. Too often, I see the IT personnel uh, leading the project and developing a BCP. <laughs> and, you know, they don't know the business like the operations people. It should really be spearheaded and uh, led by an operations person. Yeah, 100% it's not a technical problem. This is all about business. So BIA and a risk assessment are really truly to define to define what the business issues are, where are the risks in the business, where, what, what's the biggest impact in the business, how can we survive? That's really a, a discussion at the board level that needs to occur. And I don't, I personally, in my experience, without a BIA and a proper RA, these discussions cannot truly take place with any with any amount of meaning without both. And that's just been my my experience. What about you, Chris? Do you feel the same way? Have you run across? One hundred percent. One hundred percent. I mean, when when you're when you're talking about the the overall operational analysis, I mean, really the that operational analysis that is um, providing the data to IT for IT to establish their disaster recovery plan. Right. They they don't know. And, and this is where a lot of organizations fail. Right. The IT organization sets the the the, the disaster recovery plans yeah. based on what? Honestly, most of the time it's a seat of the pants gut feeling. Right. Yep. And yet the operational analysis has never actually been completed to determine whether or not what IT is doing is actually satisfactory to the business. Yeah. Now, do it, for that specific business function that ties to this system. That system has to be backed up every 15 minutes yep. because we cannot sustain more than 15 minutes of data loss, right? Yep. Or we have to implement additional um, high availability pieces within our organization to actually hopefully get a, you know, a, a six nines or five, five nines uh, of availability because the organization can't actually have that, that business function down, Right. Um, but uh, it, most of those cases are rare, but at the same, same turn, th there are those cases um, that, that, that exist there. And how does an IT director know whether or not they're actually achieving the business needs without those RTOs and RPOs? No, they can't. No. They truly can't. That, that sets them up for failure, in my opinion. It, it just does, because they, they without having the RTOs, RPOs approved by the business, like you said, they're just flying off the seat of their pants. They, they literally are. Um, Brian, do you have any uh, particular, I mean, I'm just going to throw this out there real quick. Do you have any uh, any real world implications between, uh, or an example you can share where a BIA or risk assessments led to a business disruption or the lack of a BIA has led to a longer disruption? Uh, that's a good question. I, I don't have any specific instances uh, based on my uh, experiences where companies have had disaster or um, uh, interruption business and business processes, but I'm sure there are examples out there in the real world where you read about companies, and like you say, it's a lot of small businesses 
have to recover within six days. And if they don't, they're, they're toast. And then, so the fact that they can't recover in six days, believe, believe that their plans really failed, obviously. Um, but I don't have any specific examples uh, to provide based on my experience. It's just, I'm sure there's some you hear about in the news um, that indicate the lack of a good plan. Absolutely. Absolutely. I see that in healthcare quite a bit, actually, unfortunately. Chris, do you have any, uh, any, any, any examples which you've run into in the past? Yeah, so I, I, I wouldn't say focus specifically on BIA and D, DRA, whether or not they've had those. But those organizations that haven't had a, a, a true business continuity planning me- methodology, when, when you're actually closing that circle, when, when you're establishing the BIA and D, DRA, really that's only the operational analysis piece of it. Then once you've got that operational analysis piece, then you still have to move into determining your overall strategy of how that you tackle tackle those uh, risks and those uh, business uh, functions. And you have to develop an overall plan, which includes the business continuity plan. And then the piece that a lot of people miss that makes a huge, huge difference is taking, hey, we've now got a business continuity plan document, but are they doing any testing? not just from a disaster recovery testing, that's IT pieces, but actually doing potentially, and, and this is the easiest way that, that people can really start out that, is doing tabletop exercises. And IT isn't in the room during these tabletop exercises, right? This is not an IT problem. This is a business problem. And okay. so we get a, a business unit in, in, a, in a room and say, okay, this occurred, this system is down, what are we doing, right? Are we starting to, uh, hey, we still have our laptops and desktops, but they can't connect to anything. Well, we're gonna open up Excel. We're gonna start documenting all of the changes. We're still gonna be taking calls. We're gonna be taking orders or or what have you. We're gonna be documenting or whatever. We're gonna be waiting until the systems get back up, up, right? That's our temporary operating procedures and we establish those good temporary operating procedures. But then also, how do we determine, hey, once the system's back up, how much did we lose? Yeah. And how do we then recover that data that we've lost in some form or another? Do we go back to call logs and say, hey, we we received in these you know, 300 calls from potential clients or whatever. We're going to have to call them and, and, and just fess up. Hey, we lost the, this data. What we need to redo some of these things or whatever, you know, the, those things of re- recovering that data and getting back to a, fu- a full uh, a point of true operation. You know, those those not only temporary operating procedures, but actually resumption procedures. Right. Yeah. How do we actually get back to the normal without those? We we lose, uh, you know, we run the risk of of losing um, uh, clients. We run the risk of uh, running in compliance um, with different regulating bodies and stuff like that. That we literally lost uh, data that we're not allowed to lose. You know, the, yeah. that that type of thing. Um, yep. So so those, I, I just wanted to kind of get people to to think more in how do we not only create documents because documents are worth nothing, right? How do we actually, you know, uh, run through tabletop exercises that um, not only with the business, 
as well as with IT. Hey, we pull the plug, we fail over to, to this system or whatever. We get the business to operate out of that system in a, in a, in a temporary uh, standpoint until we get the original system back and then fail back and, and, and whatnot. We have to go through those exercises and, and not only establish those processes, but also determine where do we actually have some breaking points as yep. well. You know, I, I, I've, I've seen many organizations that, hey, we've done a failover to our, and, and you're talking about, you know, big systems, you know, an iPower 9 or a, main, a mainframe type system, right? I mean, this is our core business, right? And we fail over to the other side. We're not successful about failing over to that other side. And we literally, um, it, 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 other organizations or whatever, have had to actually fail over two, three, four times before we're actually successful at failing over to it. Now we yeah. feel a heck of a lot more comfortable. Why? Because yes. we went through the process of testing and, get, and getting that uh, streamlined, documented, and, and established so that those behind us, not just the ones that actually did it, not just the ones that actually implemented it, but those behind us can actually do it and execute it in the, in the event of need. Agreed. 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 Absolutely. And like I've seen, I, I'm, I'm the awful guy. I've been the director of global network operations, right? Just literally walk in to my data center because everybody's aware we've gone through all these exercises. We've gone through the tabletops. I've got C levels on C levels on board and I've walked in and just pulled five or six Ethernet cables out of a data center and just see what happens. And how, how does it actually, you know, how, how, do, how good are we? Are our TOs, our POs, are they correct? Are our procedures correct? And how do we do these things? Where, what happens when the business has to step in? And I've done that. And it's been pretty interesting because by the time you think you've, you've thought of everything, you haven't. No. Go back and talk to the different businesses because a lot of times you find one business unit is great. We've got them covered really well. Finance is great. They're fantastic. Uh, sales, what happened to sales? We, we can't sell anything now. Yeah, so you you find things like that, and and, and I've, I've I've made that uh, distinction before. I'm walking in, you start popping out cables and seeing who it affects because we didn't know. <laughs> that that's been interesting. Uh, Brian, what do you think? Have you? Uh, here's a question for the audience, and, I, and I'm going to ask this one to Brian specifically. So, Brian, how do you get business leadership to set aside time to actually do tabletops? So, as an internal auditor, you've always had more pull and push than I do because you work with uh, compliance. How have you worked with uh, execs in the past or leadership period to get that time set aside? Because they're so busy trying to make money, trying to make the next widget, trying to get to the next, you know, the next point in their projects. How have you been successful in getting leadership to set aside time to actually run these tests, do the BIAs, do the RAs, do the tabletops whenever is necessary? And then, and then the second part of that question is going to be, how do you as an auditor identify when it's necessary to run names? Okay, well, first of all, it, it really takes the uh, strong support for the CEO or the head of operations and or the board. The very top level management has to be supportive and indicate their support for this effort. Otherwise, people aren't going to take it seriously. So number one is you have to meet with your, you know, I would say as high level management as you need to, to get their support, to emphasize the importance of this project. So that that's going to help you determine success. You know, it, it just doesn't. You just don't have the authority otherwise to get people to do this uh, process effectively. <laughs> so number one, that's what I would do. And as far as what was your second question about testing? What 
Second question is how often, from a regulatory perspective or from a, an auditor's perspective, how often do you believe that, or, or let, me, let me rephrase that, what events would occur where we would have to go back and do another BIA, do another RA, do another desktop or tabletop test? From, from your perspective, okay. uh, how often would that or what what conditions would occur? Would, I, would, I would think it'd be risk-based, so you do the highest priority uh, areas more frequently, perhaps on an annual basis, and maybe the less risky on a, a every two years. But I think if you do your annual testing of the limited, very high risk areas, you find out there are, there are holes. Then you re- need to redo your risk assessment, your your BIA, and yeah. your risk assessment. But I would yeah. say annually, annually or eighteen months to, on the high risk areas. But it's you don't have to test everything annually. But I would think you know, definitely that very high risk areas. And one of the things I always try to encourage people, so if they do a major change, right, your, their database version. Oh, yeah, right? that's true. Yeah. yeah. That's when they should do it you as well. Change. Yeah, absolutely. Good point. Yeah. A major system right. change or a change in operations too, not just systems. Major operation changes should be, require a revision of the bis, uh, business impact analysis. No, I agree. System. Yeah. Chris, do you disagree? <laughs> I, I I agree. I definitely think that the BIA and DRA need to be reevaluated on an annual basis, um, not done from scratch. Right, establishing it that first time is a. It, it, I'll be. I'll, I'll not even you know sugarcoat it. Establishing the full BC, BCP right right out of the gate is a lot of work, especially for very large organizations. It's hard work, and you it can't a lot you of hard work. Be happy. It, it doesn't is. work. Yeah, it, a it lot of work. diagramming out business functions and understanding and asking the right questions to actually establish those and and stuff like that is a lot of hard work on an ongoing basis though then you just take essentially the 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 bia sections based on the the team and department and provide it just to that department right and say hey re-look at this does this all still actually is accurate for your team, team or department, or has there been other operational changes, system changes, or whatever that we need to make modifications to this? Right. Um, I truly believe that the proper way to do a full BIA is through utilizing a proper relational database because you don't want to look at a a um, uh, a, a BIA as solely a single team. Right. Because they're all the entire organization operates as as a as a machine with a lot of different cogs. And the the reality is is that where do those cogs sit? Those cogs are your systems. Right. And those those systems overlap potentially a lot of different uh, teams. And so one system, whatever that that core, you know, um, uh, uh, system might be, um, could be uh, have a, a RTO and RPO for one organization set at you know two three days right but a different organization could be set at four hours right and so ultimately we, we want to compile all of that that data together and it still is accurate and having that that uh, that department review their BIA se- section can still be 100% accurate and yet the system itself, has overall yep. RTOs and RPOs that are different from that department because it was set by a different department. 
right? Yep. So we definitely want, want this looked at as an overall organizational perspective, not just a single team perspective, but with those organization or those teams do need to evaluate their section of their BIA on an annual basis, as well as your disaster risk assessment, as you add in additional mitigation factors, as um, other uh, uh, risks to the organization, such as the addition of AI to the environment, right? Um, might be a new, a new risk that we need to actually take into account. You know, are our business units utilizing AI that is potentially exposing data to outside organizations that are then able to be used by outside organizations, yep. right? The, that is, is a good example of something that is being done right now that people are now needing to start taking into account into their disaster risk as assessment, right? Um, so, so those have to be evaluated on a on an annual basis. On an annual, okay, that's good. Um, what are some of the challenges, Chris, you've run into with uh, with when you face a BIA or risk assessment? What are some of the common challenges you've run into in the past getting these done and done right and done on time? And how have you overcome those challenges? Well, well, you guys kind of hit on one big one that I've ran into uh, previously, and that was um, uh, true buy-in to actually getting it completed, right? And, and one, one major instance, this was a $5 billion credit union that I was doing the business, uh, establishing a BCP for. Um, essentially, the CFO and the board both 100% all in wanted this thing uh, done to protect the organization's financial assets. The CEO did not. Oh, right. <laughs> so what? Where 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 that came into a major problem there is that the CEO himself basically said, "Okay, I'm being forced to do this, but use as minimal time." as humanly possible from any of my staff, which one way or another, you cannot, an outside entity cannot come in and establish a BCP. It's not possible, right? You have to document out certain business functions. You have to establish those RTOs, RPOs, what uh, understanding of what mitigation factors and stuff like that that the organization has, and, and then establish that overall playbook as being the BCP. The reality is, is that um, probably a good 60% of the overall B BCP was established from uh, historical knowledge of working with a lot of other financial institutions wow. and not necessarily directly for that financial institution, right? That's so so at least they've got a 40% uh, input in, into that. So it does take into account the overall pieces but I will tell you that it, that it is going to be a long time coming of a yearly analysis as long as the, the CEO allows that organization wow. to actually do that review before they're ever, ever actually going to be anywhere near the 90 or 100 uh, percent complete on that business continuity plan. So. Wow, that, that's a brutal that's a brutal uh, that's a brutalist description. <laughs> and, that, and, that, and that was at a five billion dollar credit union. So that is not a small that organization. Me. That amazes me. Now, I, with that being said, credit unions aren't subject to the same regulation or regulating bodies as banks are. So this <laughs> and that was his stance. <laughs> wow. 
Wow, that that that's amazing. That's amazing. Wow, <laughs> it blows my mind. It absolutely blows my mind. Five billion dollar a year credit credit union, and the CEO gets in the way. Or two things are wrong with that, right? So first off, the CEO got got in the way and and changed a board directive, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. That the politics in that alone can be brutal for the poor guys trying to actually build out the BIA and the, and the RA. It, it, that can be brutal. And it surprises me to do that. And two, that a company that large, a CEO would not allow it. That, that That's amazing. That just, that blows my mind that that kind of thinking still exists today, especially in something like financial services. So yeah. uh, let's move on to the next question here real quick. So how's the advancement of technology, AI? And I'm going to pick on AI specifically because Chris, you brought it up. So hot topic. <laughs> We, we could go into that for an entire year and we can have that discussion. Not, not a problem. But how do, how do you see AI playing a role in BIAs and RAs today? Is that for me or Brian? That's for you. Okay, for me. I'm going to throw so, the question to Brian next. Yeah, so the, the, it's, it's, it's definitely interesting, right? And I, I kind of already mentioned a little bit from the disaster risk assessment piece of it is the understanding as to where our data is flowing, Right. The, re- the reality is that a lot of our business units, they're using things like chat GPT and, and stuff like that to help them write uh, proposals and, and emails and, and that, ty- that type of thing. But where's that data going? Yeah. It, it, that, that data ultimately, in a lot of those instances, are being utilized to better their system. And obviously, that's, the, that's how AI grows and gets better. But at the same turn, that data just went into a system somewhere yep. that is technically able to be ac- accessed in some form or another by other folks. Yeah. A lot of folks don't realize that when you use AI, you give away the rights to that data. You absolutely are giving away the rights to the data. Yep. I mean, I remember when Facebook went uh, was doing their IPO. I forget who it was. I think it was the marketing guy. Sat at a bar and left his phone unlocked in a bar. And their entire IPO strategy was on that phone. <laughs> they had to change their IPO strategy. <laughs> I remember that. that. That was brutal. Ryan, what do you? What's your take on that? How does AI or other technologies such as AI play into a BIA and RA these days? How, how do you? How do you? How do, what do you, how do you consider that? Is from a regulatory perspective or from an auditor's perspective uh, on AI and how it fits into RAs and BIAs? How, how do you deal with that? Well, I, I like. Chris was saying you still have access and you were mentioning that you still have access to better access to all the data uh, and so forth, but you still have human involvement in determining a, and judgment in RTOs, RPOs, what are the critical uh, timeframes for recovery? What are your risks and so forth? So you still have a lot of uh, input from humans into this process. So AI is not going to solve all your solve all the challenges with respect to BCP and BIA. No, I don't really think that it changes a whole lot on the BIA side of the house. Yeah. Personally, at, at least I'm not, I'm not feeling it yet. No, I don't think so either. So with the ever changing cyber threat landscape, how should businesses adapt their BIA and RA process to stay ahead? Chris? Well, I, I, I feel like I've kind of answered that in a, in a whole from a disaster risk assessment is that, that um, I, I I haven't had a lot of time to think about it outside of that, though. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, it's it's how do we control the data when we don't have complete and utter control of the data? Really, the personnel does. 
when, when it comes down to it, right? And so as we're, we're, we're copying data into other systems, we lose a lot of control of that data. Yeah. And so, so DLP has a play there. Yeah. And so where we're, I really think that from an IT perspective, we can really help with that is providing them similar solutions that we do have control of the data, at, at least um, keeping them within, like, say, our own Microsoft tenant, that it's not being, you know, extruded to other third parties in any form or another, and that, that um, you know, can at least be maintained and accessed only by our own organization. Uh, I think is the the only thing that that I've really thought of that that we can really help um, remediate uh, some of those more than anything is by a creating policies that then have to be approved and signed for by by the by the staff. Um, as you know, policies are paper, though people are going to do people things. Um, but more than anything, create create them a solution that hopefully they would want to use. That actually keeps that data within our control. That's how you get around shadow IT as well. Make sure that they can do their jobs. Absolutely. Right. right. Absolutely. Um, let's see here. Uh, what's stakeholder involvement? Let, let, let's let's move on to the next topic here real quick. So how can a business ensure all relevant stakeholders from the top management to the IT teams? How do you keep them actively involved in BIA and RA process? Brian, let me throw this to you first. Okay, well, again, like we talked about before, you need to get uh, top management support and emphasize that it's a requirement of, for people as part of their job responsibilities is to be involved in this project and provide input and maintain, uh, you know, adequate awareness of the BCP. So that needs to be, you know, maybe even part of their job description, uh, include that, but again, have the support for management. And I think like we talked about before, periodic, we need to make sure it's the responsibility of management to periodically review their BCP, uh, periodically do the update their risk assessments uh, and the, the business impact analysis, but really make sure it's that they're responsible for this and not the outside consultant or not the, the IT department. But so I think you need to period, not just once a year, maybe once a quarter, maybe semi-annually, just confirm with people that they're you know, taking a look at their documentation and their assumptions with regards to the BCP, uh, so, BIA and the risk assessments. Would it be a fair statement to say that um, we need to stay in touch? Yeah. In a business language, not an IT language. With right. the staff to make sure that they understand the intent and the purpose of a BIA and an RA and what it actually means to their line of business, to their, their P&L. Would that be an accurate statement? Yes. Right. Awesome. And again, get top management support. And it just shouldn't be coming from the project team. It should, the message should be coming from top management. Okay. And needs, again, it shouldn't just be a one annual process. It should be maybe no, every six months. But there should be awareness always. Yeah. Yeah. My opinion is anytime there's a change, you should be doing it. You should yeah. update. Yeah, update your risk assessment, update your disaster recovery processes, update your playbooks, and educate yeah. your the part the one thing that I haven't heard today is education, right? So we can do a lot of technology things. We can deal with the business side. We can work with the executives, but teaching people how to do things and when and when not to do things, in my opinion, that's also another piece that 
should be involved in BIAs and RAs. It's actually explaining to the end users why we're doing this and what their what their role is. Uh, just just my nickel on that. Um, so beyond cyber threats, so so while cyber threats are significant concern, what other risks should a business consider in their BIA and RA, Chris? Yeah, so I, uh, I I definitely mentioned some of them previously with you know natural natural threats, uh, human and uh, proximity threats uh, being you know burglary, theft, uh, civil unrest or riots uh, type things, uh, whether you know gas or yes you know steam explosions, hazardous materials, um, those type of things, different uh, labor disputes um, and and labor and work workforce uh, type things, uh, uh, COVID's. Uh, kind of, you know, shown a lot of the, those type of things is that, hey, if, uh, if if we're doing different different things to uh, potentially reduce the the workforce or shift workforces around, how does that impact our overall business, right? Um, uh, you know, different sabotages, whether it's internal or ex external uh, type of sabotages, either physical or uh, technological sabotage. Um, you know, obviously, uh, terrorism and, and, uh, transportation disruption. Hey, if, uh, it, you know, taking into account something as, as simple as, Hey, all of my people live over here and my business is over here. And there's a, uh, a bridge between the two. What happens when that bridge goes down? Yeah. I mean, I mean really? Yeah. I mean, th those are, those are things, uh, to take into consideration, you know, van vandalism, workspace, violence. Um, you know, and then obviously from a te technical threats, you've got, you know, application failures, you know, just natural failures, bad code being released. Um, you know, what is your development practices? Are you actually uh, establishing, you know, um, uh, dev and test and, and you know, uh, multiple stages of uh, tiered code development and, re and releases? Do you, as part of that release process, are you doing security evaluations of the code? Uh, are there any security uh, uh, potentials for uh, code being, you know, sent or uh, data being sent not only to where it needs to go, but also to somewhere else, right? Okay. Um, because you know, people have downloaded some module to help them out with some data flow, right? Uh, different communications failures, whether it be uh, uh, you know voice or uh, video or uh, uh, data flows. Um, Let's see. Uh, general utility failures, power power outages, um, you know those, those type of things. So all, all of those uh, things really just need to be taken into account. And obviously, from an organizational uh, to organization basis, they may add in uh, additional additional things to evaluate. But yeah. on a, on on my standard, I typically evaluate um, about thirty seven to thirty eight uh, different threat factors. So. And then I then I look at those threat factors from how would how would they potentially impact right is it is the probability of them uh, occurring and you only look at it from occurring what's the probability of it occurring what's the speed of onset right is is the speed of onset very very gradual or is it boom all at once right that that type of thing um, and then the the impact. Is it does it take into account you know potential impact to staff, uh, facilities, the systems, or the overall business, and then taking all that in, into account and then adding in the potential mitigation uh, factors to overall get your your threat yeah. rates. So, now one of the one of the scenarios I've seen actually happen is, is critical infrastructure. So um, 
Quincy, Washington, in the middle of nowhere. I mean, literally, it's they grow apples in Quincy, Washington. There are four major data centers there, and it's literally out in the desert. Microsoft, Google, and Dell, and I forget who the other one was out there. But they literally put their these physical facilities in the middle of nowhere because it spans two power grids. The United States, I've got my, I've got a background in, in the in the on working on the power grid. There's only nine different zones in the United States, as an FYI. I, but they actually built these because of this exact thing. You know, thinking, you know, what do we do about power? What if we can't get general? What if we can't get diesel fuel? So they literally dropped these data centers on two different power grids, which was an amazing thought. It wasn't just two different providers; it's actually different grids. So that's that, that. That was interesting to watch how they do that, and then how they staff. It's been an, an, another interesting issue. Okay, uh, so let's wrap this up. So in in the end, Chris, if I were to ask you, what were three or four things that someone walking away from this event should remember, or what should they walk away with, in your opinion? What 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 what, what information would be critical to them? What Establishing a overall business continuity methodology for your organization, um, truly understanding and establishing RTOs and RPOs um, that would come out of a business impact analysis, as well as the outside risks to the organization and your risk assessment to establish a methodology that then needs to be continually tested and reevaluated on an annual basis. Um, and 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 I think you asked the question earlier: Is that what what are the the big things that potentially could help drive an overall business continuity practice? Right? Is is the excitement around it? Those tabletop exercises, although as um, you know, some people may say, "Hey, I'm taking people away from you know work or whatever to do those tabletop exercises." You can do it with a partial staff. Hey, if you've got a uh, 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 an accounts receivable team or whatever that has 20 folks in it, you could do it with three or four folks of that of that team in a, in a half a day or a full, or full day tabletop exercise. What that's going to do is start getting people excited about it in thinking business continuity, right? How do we do things in outages? How do we recover from outages? What type of you know recovery plans do we actually need to have, and what is the technology that we need to establish um, with our with our IT st staff to actually be able to meet those those business needs? I mean, I think that those are really the the big things is the overall developing that methodology and getting your organization excited about making sure that you know our assets are protected and our business is protected. So building it into the culture by getting them excited. Absolutely, absolutely. Brian, same question for you. Well, I I agree with everything Chris said, and I, I think the one of the most important things, like you just mentioned, is getting it built in the culture, and that takes management support. And like Chris said, you know, you need to develop a program. We can continually monitor the update of the BCP, and you do the testing, you do the tabletop, but it's an ongoing process. It's not just a one-time. Uh, experience. It needs to be built into the process, the culture, and people's jobs, res job responsibilities. And I think, like Chris said, if you get people excited about it and get them involved in the testing, it'll help create a more robust BCP plan. Excellent. So I agree with everything you guys just mentioned. But again, I just emphasize management support, develop a culture and ongoing process related to the BCP and make sure people understand it's part of their job responsibility. Okay. 
Well, I want to thank our, our panelists today. I want to thank Chris Hamblin and uh, Brian Reeder both for attending today and, and offering their opinions. We really appreciate it. So, gentlemen, I, at the end of this, I want to say thank you very much for your time, and I hope to have you folks back in there as guest panelists in the future. Excellent. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you very guys. much, folks.